This podcast is sponsored by CU ServeNet. CU ServeNet is a CUSO, the only one of its kind dedicated to mortgage loan subservicing. CU ServeNet's singular purpose is to generate ideas, design, build, and implement new product initiatives for credit unions. Learn more at cuservenet.org. That's C-U-S-E-R-V-N-E-T dot org. From the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. At the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, more than 4 million homeowners, credit union members among them, needed mortgage assistance. While many have recovered, there is still a need to support homeowners as they come out of forbearance. Helping homeowners depends on exceptional member care and communication. It also means considering what other support can be offered and what process changes can be made to deliver optimal outcomes. I'm Casey Mishlevy, Deputy Editor with CUNA News. In this episode of the CUNA News Podcast, I speak with Lori Pinto, Senior Vice President of Business Development at Senlar, the mortgage subservicing partner to CU ServeNet. CU ServeNet shares the same goals as credit unions and regulators, according to Pinto. This includes helping homeowners stay in their homes and avoid foreclosure. Pinto also explores mortgage and homeownership trends to expect in 2022. Lori, we've seen a lot of upheaval in the last 18 months or so related specifically to mortgages and homeowners who are having to make some difficult choices and trying to find ways to keep themselves in their homes during a really challenging time. Talk me through the situation many homeowners found themselves in at the height of the pandemic, back when Lockdowns were pretty much enforced throughout the country. We were seeing very large numbers of people losing their jobs. Give me an idea of what homeowners were going through at that time. So I think a lot of homeowners found themselves in a position where they didn't know what to do. You had people saying, you don't have to make your mortgage payment. And they felt challenged about what should I do? Should I make it or should I not make it? And they were concerned about what it was going to do to their credit. They had lost their jobs. And some had people that were sick in their family, whether it was themselves or their spouses. And so I think the challenges were the unknown. It was just totally what a pandemic can do to me as a person was, I think, the first challenge. And then the next challenge became, so what do I do? How do I manage the next steps? And so where we found ourselves, Senlar, as the uh, subservicer for CU ServeNet, we found ourselves with about 4,000 credit union members in some stage of active forbearance, making phone calls, taking the forbearance and extending it for three months, six months, for however long the credit union wanted to allow that. And so where we have come to since then is we were about 4,000. And we today have probably only about 1,200 loans left that are in some stage of forbearance. So they've cured, they found their way out, and the credit unions work with them directly to put together some kind of workout. Whatever it was, however they agreed to modify or defer payments, they got themselves to the next stage. But to kind of go back to where you were, Casey, I think it was just chaos 
um, because in their own household, they were thinking about what do I do? How do I survive? What's the next steps? Yeah, I mean, it was completely unprecedented. And just the level at which we had people wondering if they would be able to keep their homes. I mean, this is something that is very reminiscent, I think, of the economic crash of 2008. But it's continuing in an interesting way because the pandemic is obviously still with us and we have things kind of changing. Almost on a daily basis, we learn something new and different locations are deciding to make different laws and regulations now. And some states and localities are continuing with some type of forbearance program and some aren't. So it's just, it's really, I think, kind of still a very confusing time in a lot of ways. I know credit unions for the most part they do sell on the secondary market, but they also have their own asset portfolio. And so that changes the mix. What the CARES Act put in place by the regulators, kind of what you were referring to, the states, you know, FHA, VA, USDA, Federal Home Loan Bank, everybody else had their own plans of what to do. And yet the credit unions, again, on their asset book of business, could come along and make their own decisions. And so that created just another form of process that we had to put in place to make sure that the credit unions and us, Senlar as the subservicer, were doing the right thing in alignment with what the credit union's you know, motto is, is to keep their homeowners members in their homes. It just wasn't always consistent, kind of aligns with you know, where you were going with the regulatory changes. Yeah, that's a great point. And that really encapsulates, I think, how confusing this is for people in a lot of ways. So moving forward a little bit in time, thinking about how things are going right now, what does the current environment look like for credit union members who are also homeowners? How are they doing now? Well, the members, I think, are, as I stated earlier, they've come out of forbearance. I think credit unions themselves have seen mortgage loan growth in double digits compared to what they've been in the past. Um, And the trends for the credit union members, I think, tends to be favorable as well as we get to that post-pandemic climate. When we get there, we're still trying to get to that point. Unemployment numbers, I think, are significantly down from when the start of even last year. So our delinquency numbers are much lower. Like every other citizen where applicable, credit union member receives stimulus checks. And so those members, in a lot of cases, took that money and maybe paid down a line of credit that they were living off of or deposited the money to use it for something that they needed to. So there was, I think, a lot of growth in the credit union space in their share deposit. And I think the thing that's most important is that credit unions found a way, like they always do, taking care of their community. They're always going to be concerned about the financial well-being. That's their number one top priority. That's why members continue to go back to credit unions. And so they'll work with them and assist them in any way that they can help, even on an individual basis. So I think it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, I I too see signs that things are are starting to look up from the stories that we hear from credit unions. I'd also like to know what ways credit unions can continue to help these homeowners now. Like people are in a better place now financially and with their mortgage, but things are still challenging. As you said, like the pandemic, we're not through it yet. So what else could credit unions be doing to support them? So the QSO that Senlar is part of and has created CU ServNet, you know, we really understand 
the credit unions and how they want to engage the members. We have a specific model and priorities and a mission that we align ourselves with. And part of that was creating a dedicated credit union call center group within our total environment. And that whole interaction with those members really rings true of a warmth, empathy, responsiveness, and really is a hallmark of who we are. So what we focused on in that dedicated call center was understanding and having the call center reps trained so that they could speak to the individual programs and plans that our credit unions wanted to put in place for the forbearances. That's even more important now as we're starting to come to the end of the pandemic. For those that didn't understand, that shied away from any kind of contact, you know, we're making a single point of contact process to reach out to the members to make sure that they understand that their forbearances may be ending and they need to move on to the next stage so it's not a shock to them. And like I said, we, we want to keep people in homes, right? I mean, that's the most important thing. But I think when we get to this stage, if they've not responded, our real focus then on it is going to be on how do we be an advocate for that member? What can we do to entice them to contact us when they haven't contacted us? What can we do to look into the loan documentation that we've received? You know, how do we get to them in different ways? Door knocks, reaching out to them, letting them know that it's not to be afraid, but to be focused on staying in the home because the value of the home is so much more if they work with us to stay in the property. So, you know, prior to any foreclosure referral, we're really going to spend multiple times going through the review process to make sure that we've taken the time to do the things that we need to do. We do a 21-point review of the loan file, making sure that we're checking for documentation, making sure that there's no restrictions or moratoriums in place in the individual areas like you spoke to that could have occurred. And then we take it to a second and third level review at a senior manager review level so that there's a different set of eyes looking at that package. So we've really done a lot to make sure that that experience for that member going through what they have, whether it's recently, because as you stated, some things have happened just recently in different areas and been, you know, spikes here and there. So we're treating them a little bit differently as they came in and out of it, but know that at some point it's going to end. And how do we help that member get to that ending? Yeah. I mean, and hearing you talk about what you're doing in your call center, I think, it's what you talked about, like just really making sure that you're understanding every person's very unique personal situation that they're going through. Like that is so key for something like this that can be so complicated for people. And I think it can really help members to feel like you're helping them to uncomplicate it and to help them get their feet under them and have a plan. You mentioned like your call center is a great example of somewhere where you can really be just a great support for members. What other areas of operations should credit unions examine for opportunities to improve their service to these members? We know credit unions tend to continue to outperform other financial institutions on how they manage this. And they prove that through you know what we've seen to date. But I think the other thing that they could focus on is, you know, bringing the members into the branches. What can we do to, to work with them directly in the branches? The branches have always been a, a welcome center for their, the membership. And how do we get them in there so that um, you can have that kind of conversation? I think the other thing is focusing on technology. Credit unions tend to be very focused on digital but getting them to communicate, whether it's live chat, some people get panic talking on the phone. So maybe doing a live chat, 
you know, using fintech opportunities to get them to go out to the web, I think is really important. Um, you know, competition's growing and there's other merchants that are out there that are competing for that kind of business. So I think it's important for the credit unions to stay in the forefront on technology so that they can stay competitive, not just for COVID environment, but moving on to the next steps of how we evolve. It's going to become a purchase money market again, away from a refi market. And so what have they done to get more share of that wallet from the members that they have today? We've talked about how homeowners obviously want to stay in their homes. And we've talked about how credit unions want to do everything they can to keep members in their homes. So I'd like to get into maybe some of the other big picture benefits of keeping folks in their homes and helping them avoid foreclosure. Who else or what else benefits from this? I think owning a home and making sure that the homeowner understands that the home is an asset. So it looks like a liability right now because you're making a payment, but it's an investment. And part of the education process should be finding ways for them to make their payments so that they have a longer term asset that's valuable to them. And that asset creates liquidity, what they can leverage to do home improvements, send a child to college, or even for retirement. I mean, those are things that the house has a value. Even with the reverse mortgage today, if the loan gets paid off, there's a huge asset that a, a member can use. So I think rather than looking at the picture that they're in right now, they need to look at the bigger long-term value of that asset. And I think us, through our partnership with the QSO at Senlar, we tend to continue to focus on ways that we can not move forward in the foreclosure process and educate. And you said that earlier, is continue to educate that homeowner because this is the first time they've experienced anything and they should feel like there's an option out there for them beyond just not making their payment and ignoring what's going on. And what about how keeping people in their homes affects the economy or the housing market as a whole? Are there other benefits there? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the best outcome for everyone is to take care of the home. Look at what's going on to price values of homes right now, right? They're skyrocketed. So keeping the homeowner in their home and taking care of the home creates a higher value for their neighborhood. And you want to keep that rising. If they don't and the house becomes unmaintenanced and they stay in it, then it's an eyesore for the rest of the neighborhood and decreases the value of the homes in that particular neighborhood. That's really important because they may not think about what they're doing to the rest of the environment with which they live in, that they're just taking internalizing it, but it also does affect the area in which they live. And finally, Lori, I'd like to think forward a little bit, if we can. What do you foresee for mortgages and homeownership in 2022? So a lot of the industry data we look at, we're expecting you know, the interest rate environment to increase. And as I stated, there'll be lesser refis and more purchases. Some of the statistics show that rates could hit as high as 4% by the end of 2022. And you sit back and you think 4%, that's nothing, right? That's not that high. But compared to what we've seen, it is significantly higher. I think that the refinance market itself is going to decrease by probably 60%. And so you're going to have a lot of independent mortgage bankers and bankers out there buying for the same loans that the credit unions are getting. So it's going to become much more competitive to find that production. And we also see, like I mentioned, the property values increasing. 
People are buying homes because the availability of homes is limited. They continue to buy homes without inspections, cash, or overbidding. I would expect that that, as the interest rate environment changes, that will not continue. And as the pandemic starts to subside, the supply chain will begin to free up a little bit and we'll have more availability and less expensive costs for the supplies. So I think those are some of the things that I expect to see. I think it's going to take a little while to get there, but I definitely predict that the, you know, the purchase money market is going to increase. And how can credit unions prepare now for some of those changes that you just mentioned? Well, I think they need to know their market. Who are they partnering with? A lot of business in the credit union space is referrals, family. Credit unions were always about the segment that they lived in. Not unlike the military, you know, it's friends and family type of thing. And so I think they need to think about how do they get more out of the environment where they live, whether it's where they, um, the community that they live in, whether it's church, school, community, you know, the, the points that credit unions typically focus on is, do I need to go out to a different part of the market? Do I expand that? Does my charter allow for that? I think they need to invest in looking what they have and then also using the wallet that they have. Do they have deposits somewhere but not have a loan? Do they have credit cards somewhere or an auto loan somewhere but not have a loan? Credit unions have done an amazing job in the last 20 years, you know, taking up a bigger piece of the market on the mortgage space, but they need to continue with that and grow with that and figure out how do they continue to capture that, engage younger folks in participating in the credit union. Um, If you don't use a credit union today, a lot of young folks don't understand what a credit union is. And I think education is really where the credit unions need to go. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. This podcast is sponsored by CU ServeNet. CU ServeNet is committed to the very highest standard of member experience, a caring and responsive approach. CU ServeNet provides flexible, customized solutions to each credit union and is led by executives from some of the nation's top credit unions. Learn more at cuservenet.org. That's C-U-S-E-R-V-N-E-T.org.